Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, Life Sciences 302. My name is Aaron Friedman. I am a partner solutions architect at AWS, working in healthcare life sciences. It's my honor this afternoon to be joined by Dan Hausman of Deloitte Converge Health and Patrick Lursch of, uh, of Celgene. So today we're going to be talking really about how we can leverage you know, big data and analytics to advance human health in the context of you know, the industry term of real-world evidence. But before we start to get you know, specific into healthcare and life sciences, let's talk about data. Now, data is, is central to, to every industry, right? It's not just healthcare and life sciences, organizations in any specific segment, whether it's media and entertainment, financial services, healthcare, life sciences, use data to really you know, drive insight, right? Those are what the successful you know, organizations do time and again. They analyze data to make new products. In our field, of course, it's to analyze to advance human health. And this is really emblematic no matter what industry you're in. And when you take a step back and really start to, to conceptualize this at a high level, you realize there are sort of you know, six major buckets that you know, really define how organizations approach data. And I like to call this the, the data value chain, right? You need to understand how to secure your data. In healthcare, of course, you know, that is paramount. If we're dealing with protected health information or PHI, we, of course, need to make sure that our data is secure. It is, you know, we are dealing with patients, and, and this is this foundational what we do. You need to figure out how to acquire data, whether it's from streaming sources such as wearables or, you know, batch uploads, maybe claims data, um, genomics data, et cetera. Data acquisition is a, is a critical component, and once you acquire that data, you really need to make sure that you can store it in a way that is scalable, secure, and easily retrievable so that you can do things like, like process data, make sure that your data is in a format that is amenable to, to large-scale analyses. And once you have that, you know, we're seeing more and more organizations really want to operate not just on a local scale, but really go global. And figuring out the appropriate ways to distribute your data at scale such that you can you know, concurrently adhere to, say, data sovereignty requirements in, in different regions of the world is, is critical. And one of the, the foundational architectures that we've seen really emerge on, on AWS that a lot of our customers are using is the concept of the data lake. And my guess is a lot of people out here sort of have, have heard of data lakes, maybe use data lakes. But fundamentally, I like to think about it as a source of truth. Right? You have this, this central repository of all your data, and then you have consumers mine that repository, um, really extract the relevant pieces of data that they can use to, to generate insight and move your business forward. And there are many different stakeholders within a data lake, folks such as you know, data providers, right? those that are actually serving up or entering data into your environment. You may have business analysts, you may have other types of customers, business users, uh, data scientists, for example, uh, to do you know, machine learning across your data sets. You, of course, have operations, say, for protecting or cataloging your data, and, of course, you know, data governors are, that really execute that, that data governance layer. And I want to dive into several different, uh, before we hand it off, to several different you know, uh, buckets that I presented uh, just a slide or two ago. 
um, that really are, are foundational to, to how we really use data. And the first one is sort of a reference architecture about how you might approach this on AWS. Of course, you can replace a lot of these you know, individual icons or, or sets of icons with our incredible you know, ISV and systems integrator partner ecosystem. But you know, fundamentally, you know, from a data acquisition standpoint, you have data from wearables, you know, some type of Internet of Things or Internet of Medical Things enabled devices. You also you know, could be uploading data, say, from an on-premises data center where you're using AWS Storage Gateway, or if you have very large data, AWS Snowball, or if you're really doing a petabyte or exabyte scale, even Snowmobile. And then you're, you're taking that data and you're landing it in Amazon S3. And you know, after that, really, your data just, it doesn't stop there. You need to have the ability to, to store and catalog the metadata so that when you are looking to retrieve that and actually do analysis, you can, you can do so um, very quickly and, and efficiently. And once you get that data into to S3, uh, for example, you often need to do some type of extract transform load process that can you know, perhaps you know, transform that data into a more amenable data source. You may need to do things like in genomics where you're taking raw data from genome sequencers in the, the gigabyte or terabyte scale and convert those via a series of um, high throughput analyses into a more amenable, more queryable format. And this is how it might work. So you can imagine you have an API, and um, that API is backed or, or routes uh, to AWS step functions, which queries your, your data catalog to effectively generate a data manifest, right? Um, you can think of that in perhaps as a JSON object or a, a uh, JSON pointer or pointer to S3 of all the um, individual objects that are of interest that you need to, to process. And then you could do something such as, you know, using the same state machine that you specify in step functions, you know, use AWS batch to sort of elastically provision a, a resource or a set of resources to process that data. You then may store that data back in Amazon S3 or perhaps into Amazon Redshift for a data warehousing type solution. But, you know, fundamentally after that, you're recording that data back into the data catalog. So your, your metadata that, that you're storing and really tracking your entire um, set of, you know, of knowledge you know, continues to evolve as you, as you generate um, new sources, new analyses, new processing, et cetera. And then, of course, at the end, it's, it's what drives businesses forward, and that is the, the concept of, of, of course, data analysis. And this is something that we'll hear a lot about from you know, Deloitte Converge Health today, as well as Celgene and how they have built and are utilizing a solution to really drive new insights as it pertains to, to, to drug response, et cetera. But this is, you know, you can apply these similar architectural patterns, both from the data processing layer to the data analysis layer, where again, you're returning that data manifest. And then using a state machine, you can effectively do something like say, okay, well, these data reside in Redshift, I'm gonna run a query here. These data, perhaps I need to, to run a machine learning algorithm or training algorithm on. So I'm gonna run that on EC2 with our, you know, our, our P-class instances, our GPU instances, and our deep learning um, AMI. Or perhaps you need to use Amazon EMR to do something like use Spark or, or Presto to, to query that data. 
you may stage that back in Amazon S3 and then use a business intelligence tool, tool of choice, such as you know, Jupyter or RStudio or QuickSight or, or Tableau, et cetera, to query that data, whether it's natively from S3 or perhaps through Amazon uh, Athena, which is our, our managed Presto query service. But to get a little more specific in, in data and in, in healthcare and life sciences, and when we talk about healthcare at, at AWS, we traditionally talk about payers and providers and the solutions that enable them in life sciences, genomics, pharma, biotech, and med device, and again, the solutions that enable them. And you know, really across the board, what, what drives me, and I know what drives a lot of people and what drives, you know, Dan and Patrick is the ability to, to use data to really advance human health. You know, the, the idea that we can do things like real-world evidence and population health and clinical trials and really integrate over very disparate data sets, but the, the insights that we, we find really can, can transform an industry and, and, and move an industry forward and have a direct impact on, you know, the way people live their lives and the quality with which they live their lives. And you know, with that, I'm really excited to, to hear from Dan on you know, Deloitte's Converge Health uh, platform and what they've done to, to build that. And then, of course, how, how Celgene has used Converge Health to, to advance you know, human health. Thank you, Aaron. Um, so we're going to be talking about the Converge Health platform as well as the implementation, in particular, at Celgene. Um, I'll start by introducing myself. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Converge Health by Deloitte. Um, we're actually a, an interesting group because unlike most consulting companies, Deloitte's made a very big investment in being able to convert intellectual capital, sort of the, the big ideas that come from the consulting companies, into technologies that can be offered as intellectual property, operational services to our clients. And I think it's a, it's a shift that to some degree has come about because of cloud architectures. You know, so we're able to take and integrate ecosystems of various different technology partners. And rather than just do a system integration, which would be a one-off kind of project for a client, we can build reusable technology that can be accessed by multiple different groups and also start building ways to use data in new ways in the cloud um, that really accelerates in the industry um, how can you do discovery all the way through to commercialization of pharmaceutical products. In particular, I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, the minor capabilities. We have other capabilities that deal with connections with patients, patient connect, with other capabilities that deal with safety, converge health safety. Um, but in particular, when we're talking about real world evidence, um, this, this componentry around minor is all about solving for that kind of capability. Um, for those of you who don't have a lot of familiarity with RWE or RWD, I think the, the best way to start by thinking about um, RWE is that if you have a, a drug or any kind of therapeutic treatment, you know, imagine it's just a pill in front of you. You don't know whether it's going to work for you. You don't know whether it's treating your particular disease, and you don't know whether it's going to have side effects. So the truth is the manufacturing of medicine is not the heart of the process to make medicine useful for people. It's the generation of evidence. And so the more you know about a given therapeutic, the more you're able to identify exactly, precisely who it's going to work for, when, when the value proposition is going to be stronger or weaker with another uh, individual patient, and how you can bring that out into the hands of the people who treat patients, um, the more valuable it is that, that manufactured product that you're making. And what we've seen over the past five or six years is a strong trend that's, you know, Patrick will talk a little bit about, 
of the proliferation of new data sets from medical records, the ability to digitize genomics, the ability to access personal health records, Fitbits, all of the different data sets as well as some big changes in architectures like cloud um, have led to groups completely rethinking this question of evidence. And that rethinking is moving them towards building these data lakes. And so for all the things that Aaron's speaking about, there's a very specific kind of data lake that's dealing with evidence lifecycle management, which is the type of data lake that we're involved in for both working with clinical trial data and real-world evidence. Um, the real-world evidence piece is looking at everything but the clinical trial. It's, it's all the cases where you can observe a patient outside of this controlled setting of, of looking at a randomized control. And so we've been running, uh, at least this past year, a benchmarking survey to understand what are different groups looking at and what are their perspectives towards it. And what we found is right now, many groups are still in a transition from a legacy approach in architecture to a new approach in architecture. So 54% of the groups we talked to in life sciences said, we are not satisfied with the current environment we have. For the groups that have been making investments over the past four or five years, 80% of the more mature ones have moved towards a cloud strategy. And so you have to sort of take a picture of what, what's happened historically, which is the groups have been using legacy technology, you know, database appliances, some of the things that would get you to high-performance computing on custom internal data centers and saying there's a much better way to do this if we move to an architecture that's more open and more cloud-based. And so there's a, a big motion within the life sciences industry for change in real-world evidence. If you look at sort of the underlying pieces of that motion and what drives the architectural decisions in making an RWE platform, there's a couple of big things I wanted to point out. Um, first of all, there's a big change in reimbursement and also in the ability to discover a new drug. You know, the, the truth is there's a, uh, uh, an idea called E-Room's Law when it comes to drugs, which is the opposite of Moore's Law. So as things get cheaper and cheaper for technology, the truth is building a new drug is, is doubling in cost at the same rate. And so there's a, there's a huge challenge to be able to, to manage and operate a business where it's getting more and more expensive. And so there's a need to invest in, in extending beyond the pill and extending the strategy overall to understand the value proposition and make the most out of anything that's in the market. Um, but there's also this maneuver to look across the entire value chain with all this new information that's become available, which means this real-world data, rather than being where it was narrowly focused maybe a few years ago when, when all that was available was claims data, into things like commercial and some level of pharmacovigilance, is now look at areas like discovery. If we have genomic information that's coming from partners that can generate it from a disease advocacy group like CCFA, which looks at Crohn's disease and colitis or Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation, we can apply that all the way back in discovery to see if there's new targets to look at and then all the way out to commercial to understand if a, a drug is available um, and, and what kind of target market it's gonna sort of support. Um, what that means within the enterprise and looking at data is that you're moving from a very siloed approach to things to a very open approach. And you're also dealing with vendors that used to see the world as very siloed to very open. And that's a big shift in terms of what you have to do to move information out of these data centers and up into an open architecture. Because it means you have to be able to very flexibly build new partnerships and relationships with data providers and be able to flexibly build out new partnerships and relationships to analytics providers. Because at the same time, we're dealing with this big burst of activity around machine learning and new tools to be able to analyze information at scale, and we have all this scale data to be able to look at. 
So, you know, we've been sort of lopping the D off of DevOps. So for those of you who know much about DevOps, it's sort of the, the process of making things efficient for developers to do their job. Um, well, this racetrack here in the center is the racetrack to be able to build the evidence you need within all of the different functions in working from finding an evidence gap all the way through to acquiring data to getting to insight. In order to do that, um, we have to take a new approach. Right, so we have to be able to really facilitate ingesting and acting like in a supply chain with our data providers to go all the way back to them and continuously give them feedback and do what sorts of things they can do to modify and improve the data that they're providing. Because we're moving very far from this sort of claims data where it's just the exhaust of a data system to a world where groups are doing curation of data sets specifically to support these functions, where they're doing natural language processing on medical records. And if you can have an indication of exactly what you're looking for, then you can be able to support the speed that's necessary to be able to produce evidence that's gonna drive a faster approval for reimbursement or be able to identify a biomarker faster that's gonna be a companion diagnostic to, to, to be connected to a drug to get a specialized indication. On the technology side, you can see on the left, you can see a little pathway. Um, and on the sort of acceleration we're looking to do in evidence operations is make sure that the, the key things that can be done can be done as quickly as and, and effectively as possible. And you're looking at a, you know, a pretty small resolution picture of the pathway of going from looking at a cohort. And so in, in, in the tools we produce in Miner, the, the, the core capability is cohort selection and cohort integration. Because when you're dealing with terabytes, maybe petabytes, exabytes, however big you want to look at, you know, the, the first step in most analyses that occurs with real-world data is to reduce the data set to the data set you care about. Whether you're looking at a specific disease or a class of disease or drugs. So we've built some scalable components to be able to do that query that can allow you to select the specific attributes and concepts that will make up a cohort. In working with Celgene, you know, they were looking at some of the key analyses they were looking for. And so one of the analyses that comes up often is a patient journey analysis. To be able to understand at a given starting point with many different intermediate points, how do we get from one point to the other and be able to see what the paths are for that patient journey? Um, as it turns out, that can be a pretty complex calculation. And so when we were running this initially, there's a, an R package that can generate from a data set if you sort of code it directly. It took us about three days on a fairly large instance in Amazon to be able to run it. And on the back end, we ended up doing some optimization to move the calculations off of our studio, which would be the package that was doing the calculations before, into uh, a framework which is called Sparkly R, which will allow us to move things into Spark and be able to do on-demand computing and took what took three days, which would be a pretty big delay to do this cycle around the racetrack, down to about three hours. And so we're working to build both user interfaces that can be put in front of these data sets, as well as working on the back end to be able to support um, very specific analytical pipelines that come up frequently within the user base. If we were to look a little deeper at the logical architecture of a real-world evidence system, um, I want to maybe highlight a couple key pieces here. You know, and, and back to sort of Aaron's high-level diagram, you know, there's, there's a data layer where we're trying to aggregate information of various different types. There's an analysis layer, and there's a place where we're managing knowledge. Um, one of the key facilitating factors is how do we bind these things together? And so when we look to bind from the data exploration layer, that one that's doing cohort selection, into the data itself, 
one of the key things we, we deal with is trying to convert information to common data models. And the truth is, there is no universal common data model. Most systems or, or pharma clients will have some of their own internal common data models, but there's also some, some open ones. So in our case, we use technologies like the OMOP CDM, the common data model for the Observational Medical Outcomes Project. We work with different data partners. They're going to load information specifically in that format for us from some of the source providers. But unfortunately, that's not always going to be cost-effective or efficient. So what we've done between the data exploration layer and the data layer is we built an abstraction so that we could map using a template to the back end, whether the back end is sitting in Redshift, or it's sitting in EMR, it's sitting in another RDS-type data store, it's sitting in a different data structure. As long as it looks like medical data, we can convert a query that comes from that cohort builder, which basically um, stores its information in a JSON object, and convert it down into the query that we need to pass down to there so that we can get a query into many of the different data formats. Because keep in mind our objective here is to not be constrained when we're trying to bring on lots of data partners quickly and be able to get analytics out of those data partners because we need to have that open environment to operate quickly. And there's all sorts of cases where someone wants to work directly against the original data rather than working against some transformed version of that data set. We also have a framework for working within the code itself where we, we've worked to optimize by building essentially a GitHub repository to store the different analytical methods that keep people are working with as well as to store the different definitions and metrics that groups are using to be able to define how they want to look at diabetes or look at Crohn's disease or look at cardiac sort of disorders. Because it's, it's a, a big complex problem to be able to standardize and get your analyses across different data sets and within the organization to come up with common definitions within the different analyses that are being done. We've put out a, um, a blog post with Amazon, so you can take a look at this offline if you want to, of looking at how that whole architecture fits on top of the AWS infrastructure. And the truth is, when we look at the data layer, we're using many different data storage formats. The reason for that is we have many different kinds of workflow, workloads we're trying to work with. On the one hand, we have many workloads like those cohort queries that are pretty well optimized to having a big, large, distributed data set. You know, if we have four or five, eight terabytes worth of information from a claims data set, we'll put it into um, a Hadoop store and be able to do an efficient query with that cohort builder. But at the same time, there's a lot of other kinds of analyses. If we put them against a tool like Redshift or Spark on top of EBS, um, where we're going to have a much faster response time. Um, and so we can use that as well as a workload. And we also have to be able to deal with some low-cost storage for the information we're not trying to operate on on a regular basis. You can see in this diagram that we also are working with Amazon Workspaces. So part of this idea of working with many different collaborators means we have to have a place that the collaborators can come to. And so the, the Workspaces give us the ability to have the partners come to the data. And we want to let the data speak, and there's many different types of partners that come in who have specific expertise to either be able to do data curation, um, be able to do a certain kind of analyses, a certain machine learning method. We want to bring the ability for them to take their capabilities to the data, because we're also dealing with contracts as much as we want to have a very open system. The truth is, this isn't really Celgene's data. This is data that's been licensed from a third party with some real constraints. They can't open it up to everyone in the world for free. 
or else they'd be breaking a lot of the covenants within those license agreements. And so they have to be careful and have a very managed environment so how people who are bringing their tools to the data or bringing their expertise to the data can operate within that collaboration workspace. This is a more detailed picture of how the environment itself actually works within Celgene. Um, and maybe I'll point out a couple things about how we're dealing with data and how it's being processed through the system. Um, first and foremost, all information gets landed in the data lake storage in S3. We put it into S3 because we want to have a single point of storage and we can be able to move that information up into different tiers depending on the workloads we want to work against. Um, you'll note we have HTTPS, SFTP, we're also using some native capabilities. One of the security concerns that comes up, we're not dealing with predominantly um, identified patient data. So if we're, we're licensing a data set in from a third party, they've already done de-identification, but at the same time, we have to build an environment that can work for the long term if in the future someone wants to bring in a HIPAA data set because there may be partnerships with a registry or another group that want to put it into this platform that may contain, before we've de-identified, um, some patient identifiers. So all of the services that we put together we're put together with this idea in mind of having a HIPAA-eligible back-end enterprise architecture so that we could, in the future, be able to use those kinds of workflows. From the, the S3 box, um, we do use on-demand instances versus reserved instances to be able to manage the flow of the data. And so we, we, we load data up into Cloudera using um, EBS underneath it. And we load it in some particular patterns in terms of indexing it on a patient ID so that we can have good cross-cutting information of the patient. Keep in mind, these data sources may be giving us files that are blocked by different years rather than across a patient. And so there's some transformations we do on the data set using Cloudera and some of the native SQL commands that we can run within it to be able to load it forwards into our reserve instance on EC2, which, which becomes our sort of static data store for the data lake. Sometimes we'll be running conversions to those data models that are the common data models. We may be preserving them at its sort of uh, original state. And we'll also move, if there's a converted data set, back down into S3 so we have a preserved version. If we're not going to keep it loaded into the EC2 Cloudera instances real time, um, in case we want to use them in a lower cost storage tier. Um, you can see there's a lot of different analytics environments that are surrounding the system. You know, we want to be able to do visualization and tools like Tableau, which provide us capable ways to, to do things like that, visualization of uh, Sankey diagram. We might want to look at geographic information. We have tools that people want to look at with um, uh, incidents and prevalence kind of summaries. So many of the things that people want for sort of the cursory rapid applications to access the data go up into things like Tableau, and then some more advanced users, especially the ones that understand how to use SAS, which are the traditional RWD data users and safety, or the ones that are in um, groups that are doing um, specific reports out to regulatory bodies, maybe using these SAS algorithms that have to be able to run against it too. Um, and then finally, there's groups that can use Spotfire. Um, but the goal here is not to be constraining. Again, we're trying to build an architecture that's open to any group to be able to bring in new data and information rapidly, to be able to convert it, and then be able to do the proper kind of visualization, either through internal resources developing on dev tools, 
or external groups bringing their, their, their tools to the system. And you can see we're still preserving that, that capability of, of workspaces, and we're also using sort of custom applications. So you can see up there in the corner, there's that Odyssey application. And we do have to deal with the fact that there's um, specific industry applications. Odyssey is the, um, the toolkit that comes out of the Observational Medical Outcomes Project to sort of a spin out that allows us to do things like data characterization on real world data sets. So we have to be able to support that, and that runs all the way down to RDS because it's not been built with a back end on an HDFS kind of query engine. And so we have to do some conversions to be able to let those applications run within the environment. And so that, you know, overall, you know, our, our, our architecture is designed to then filter out some of the availability of information, you know, what you can access, who can access, how the access controls are being managed, out to a data catalog. Um, in the case of Celgene, it's operating on some combination of a Salesforce architecture for dealing with requests. So that deals with some of the, you know, I'm interested in accessing this and understanding some of the details of the business metadata, um, as well as some of the back end on the data cataloging that occurs through using Hue and some of the, the data profiling tools, as well as at times you could consider an extension of the data catalog, the tools that are in Tableau, um, or even the tools that are sitting in Odyssey to give you data characterization on each of the data sets. So you know, I want to hand it over to Patrick and he can give some indication of how they're using the system and what kind of analyses are coming out of it and happy to answer some additional questions if there's more detail people are interested in um, after Patrick uh, sort of gives you some of a user's perspective. Thanks. That's me. Okay, everyone can hear me okay? So what I would like to do is switch gears a little bit and um, provide a little bit of a background about how from a user's perspective we're applying the platform and getting value from the platform from the context of a pharmaceutical company, in particular Celgene. A little background about myself. So I'm a biochemist and a biostatistician by training. I lead a data sciences organization within Celgene. And with regards to Synapse, we play two key roles. We're the, one of the dominant users and probably one of the most diverse users of the platform, having people on both coasts of the US as well as Europe uh, supporting a number of different business areas across the company. We're also um, product owners of the platform. So working very closely with our colleagues at Converge Health as well as our IT organization, we take part in monthly sprints that cover everything from data ingestion to data QC to performance of the platform all the way through to a series of point and click applications that we're building out on the platform. Um, a little background about the organization. So data sciences sits within an organization called Information Knowledge Utilization, or IKU. We call it IQ internally. Um, it was formed about a year and a half ago. Um, we report straight up into the COO. And we were tasked with really transforming how, as an organization, we think, manage, and utilize um, data across the entire organization. In particular, how do we get a holistic view of our current data assets what our needs are and what the gaps are. So not just present day, but also one, five, 10 years out based on the different therapies we're developing and rolling out over that time frame, but also different indications that we're gonna roll out into. Um, and as, as Dan mentioned, um, a key factor in that is real world evidence or de-identified patient data in this case. So what's shown up here is just a very high level overview of pharmaceutical pipeline. 
the different horizontal bars here indicate the different groups that require access to real-world data across the organization in order to make decisions to drive the business forward. Um, as many of you know, um, pharmaceutical companies are in a unique position in that we're one of the few organizations in healthcare who do not have a natural means of accessing real-world data. So despite the changing landscape, despite the need to continue and increasingly demonstrate the efficacy of our products and the geographies that we're rolling them out in, um, the moment we launch a product indicated by the triangles here, you have a wealth of real-world data being created, and pharma really has no means of accessing it. So our customers, our stakeholders, have more access to more up-to-date information on our medicines than we do. Um, and historically, what pharma has done is we've unlicensed a lot of data through vendors, through intermediaries. Um, if you look at this slide, you'll note a lot of vertical movement. However, you'll note very little horizontal movement across the pipeline. So it's traditionally been very difficult to actually uncover what data sets we are in licensing across the organization. So as an individual who might be sitting, or as a team who might be sitting in one of these points in the pipeline, you can see a medicine coming down the pipeline, but you have very little information about the type of real-world data that's actually available internally to support that medicine. So you have one of two decisions. You can proactively in-license a, a lot of real world data and risk having a surplus and some redundancy, or you can wait until the medicine reaches you and potentially risk having sort of a dearth of real world data. So you can see how this begins to almost resemble a traditional supply chain problem where you go through these periods of sort of a surplus of data and periods of a dearth of data. Um, so with the platform, one of the things we're actually able to do is put a halt to this cycle. And it's through managing what we call a data footprint. So this, as I mentioned, is a holistic view of what are the data assets that are currently available within the organization and what are key attributes about those. So on this slide, every row indicates a data set that sits within the Synapse platform. The columns are different variables. And what I've highlighted on both sides are the different groups that are simultaneously accessing this data um, in order to solve very distinct business questions that they have. Um, what this view allows us to do is it teaches us a lot about the qualities of a data set that's important to various parts of the business. So for instance, in this first column, commercial operations, the data needs to be as current as possible. So you'll see a very rapid refresh rate. Likewise, or similarly with health outcomes, refresh rate is not as important, but what is key is the coverage over a specific population that they're doing a study on. So what this view within Synapse allows us to do is as we encounter a new vendor or a new partner, we can relatively quickly assess where a data set will actually potentially replace or even improve an asset that's being currently utilized within the business. Another view that I particularly like um, really gets down to the sort of the core business. So what this view shows along the left-hand side here are the different diseases that we are actively engaged in. Along the top, you'll notice different years, and every single cell is actually a count of the number of patients that we have data on 
who have been diagnosed with that disease. So members of my teams have actually gone through various data sets and quantified, this is just one example data set. Um, in terms of our footprint from a therapeutic area perspective, you know, we can start to ask questions about, you know, okay, we see the opportunity to move into an alternative indication. What does it look like within the organization from a data asset perspective? And are we really positioned ourselves to actually start doing research in that indication? And I believe as Dan had mentioned, where we see gaps, we're proactively forming data partnerships. And these are partnerships in the truest sense of the word. So many of these organizations, in addition to being healthcare organizations, they're also research institutes. They're very proactively, many of them, creating registries to do medical research themselves. A lot of the pain points and bottlenecks that they have to create these registries, so identifying progression, extracting unstructured data from clinician notes. We also have those bottlenecks, so we work very proactively with them to develop a lot of the technology. Once again, working with Converge Health and others um, and implementing that in our platform, but also making it available to our partners. So thus far, everything I've discussed about is about data and the data footprint. Um, what I haven't touched on is that that's only one step. So putting big data in a cloud hosted on AWS is great, but it's, it's not, not going to solve the entire problem. What's really key for us, in particular my group in data sciences, is actually having impact on the business. And this is actually where the Synapse platform shines, and I know Dan touched on some of the components, and this is actually where the platform enables my data scientist team, which is fairly nimble, to actually scale quite dramatically across the organization. Um, so what's shown here is a typical approach that we take to actually applying one of these large data sets, or one, in this case, actually five of these data sets to solve a specific scientific problem. Um, and it always starts with the question, is what I say. So we meet with subject matter experts around a specific use case. And the first thing we ask them is to prioritize their specific questions. From those questions, we then identify the minimal information that if they had access to it, they could answer the questions that they have and thus drive the business forward. Um, from that minimal set of information, we use that to create a cohort definition and some logical business rules represented here. And concepts that are seemingly simple, such as diagnosis with multiple myeloma or progression. When you really get into the details, you realize that there's multiple lab results that are used to diagnose multiple myeloma. There's unstructured text in some of these databases that's used to diagnose multiple myeloma and even in progression. So you wind up building out these fairly extensive logical business rules. We then that translate that into a set of database-specific queries, and that is actually run against these various data sources that we've cultivated. And as Dan mentioned, this particular use case is actually inspired by some comparator cohorts we're currently building out. What we find is the majority of the time, the, the big, one of the biggest benefit of the platform is that we're looking for needles that are basically spread across a whole variety of haystacks. So if you look at the numbers here, we're pulling one to 200 patients out of databases that have tens of thousands. And we're pulling all those in together to create a single cohort that will then analyze to answer a specific clinical problem. 
So when, when I think of the platform from a user perspective, this is effectively what I see. It's a series of stacks of functionality. Starting at the top, we very rapid search to find the data sets, access to the data based on data governance, and in the case of patient data, what has been consented for, the analytics tools, co-located um, GitHub. So I'm happy to say that we're adopting some of the best practices around GitHub and safing code. So for instance, progression of multiple myeloma. The actual SQL query, if it is a SQL query, that's used to extract that data from a database is reusable. So making sure that once someone from my team codes it up once, that we're actually sharing that information across the entire group and the company. And then lastly, Tableau and Shiny, because most of our customers are not technical, so we do a lot of the work and display it visually. And then for the scale piece, where we've done an analysis a couple times, we'll actually work with our IT colleagues and the folks at Converge Health to harden that analysis and build out a point-and-click app so that people don't actually need to know how to code in order to uh, conduct analysis. So I did want to go through one very practical, solid example. So this was analysis that my team did towards the end of last year, um, looking at treatment pathways within Crohn's disease using real-world data. We presented this at uh, a very large Crohn's and colitis conference in Europe. So the, a couple different teams came to us. Treatment guidelines within Crohn's disease is very well understood. However, the team had the desire to actually understand how well those guidelines were being adhered to and how did treatment of the disease in the real world actually compare to what the guidelines were. So in this case, we met with a group, we needed a nationally representative data set, we needed a data set that would capture all the information on a patient's treatment across organizations. So in this case, we decided to go with MarketScan. It doesn't have the outcomes data that an EMR database has, but as a claims database, it does collect information on anywhere that a patient was treated and was reimbursed for. So it is a holistic view. It's also nationally representative. The cohort we looked at, so the logical definition that I mentioned before, patients, at least two consecutive claims for Crohn's disease 30 days apart. We wanted three years of follow-up in the database. Um, we really needed to capture first line of therapy and second line of therapy. So we required one year of follow-up before the first diagnosis. And this Sankey diagram that, that Dan referred to, sort of the result, this was put together by a very talented team member of mine in R Shiny. It sits on top of the platform. The benefit is that whenever the platform data is refreshed, the R Shiny script is refreshed. And this is a traditional Sankey diagram. And what it shows is the height of the vertical bar is the number of patients. And if you go from left to right, you can see the series of treatments. These are just aligned by sequence of treatments, not time. And the way to read this is, you know, within the time period we looked at, 16,260 individuals were diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Of those, 42% received corticosteroids as a first-line treatment. And then you, you can actually, in the tool, hover over these and actually assess the percentage that received treatment thereafter. Um, highlighting the power of the platform and the ability to not just share data, but share analyses. This analysis was actually viewed by our clinical trial operations team, who had a number of trials coming up, and part of the inclusion criteria was past treatments. 
So we were able to actually take a subset of those treatment pathways, identify the organizations and what they were treated, map those geographically, bring in census data as well as clinicaltrials.gov data, and using that information actually create a profile of Crohn's disease patients who have a high probability of participating in our trials, and then map those onto the US, in particular highlighting areas where a clinical trial site exists who has done a Crohn's trial in the past. So, and then likewise, this was also created, and this actually particular one was created in Tableau. Um, and then the last slide is just sort of bringing this all back to what Dan has showed around this EvOps concept. So both of those analyses were done in my group. You had mentioned three days to run it. So they thought three days was bad. When we first did the analysis, it took months. So you went from an analysis coded in R, R Shiny and Tableau, taking months. We hardened that implemented in the platform. What's shown here on the left, the left, is a user can now go in, define their own cohort using cross-sectional or temporal data. They can then apply that cohort to a data set and create that same treatment pathways image, same interaction, and they can do it in a matter of minutes without writing a single line of code. And as the underlying data is refreshed, they don't really have to worry about that the image and the analysis is automatically refreshed. They can save the cohort. They can then share amongst their team globally, wherever the team happens to reside. So that analysis actually provided additional feedback to the data sources, as Dan had mentioned. And we're starting to even go back and collect additional data. And I will be able to use this clicker by the end of this talk. There we go. So just as a takeaway, um, as, as we mentioned, the changing healthcare landscape requires all organizations to be data-driven, but in particular, it requires pharmaceutical companies to be proactively data-driven. Um, this, this requires setting up a platform such as the Synapse platform that has been built on AWS with Converge Health but it also requires the organizational mindset to fully adopt that platform, and particularly the EvOps feedback loop that we described. Um, and then obviously, this is a team effort. So the analyses I showed, a lot of the work done by Converge Health hosted on AWS. Um, the study was done in collaboration with our many collaborators across the entire business. I just wanted to thank everyone, and as well as thank Amazon for the opportunity to talk on behalf of everyone.